Welcome to the Raindrop Corner podcast, an affirming space for people who seek to enrich the human experience. This is a place where real life superheroes and creatives get to share their magic without censorship. And I'm your host, Kay. This episode is probably without a doubt one of the most important episodes that I've ever done. I do want to put a content warning on this episode. There are mentions of sexual assault and we do use the word rape numerous times throughout this podcast. Our guest this week was Sam Dallet, who is an amazing human being. She is the co-founder of Every 68 Seconds, a model and an artist. In this podcast, we explore the culture behind how rape is perceived and we talk about Sam's efforts along with her co-founder to change the stigma in the conversation around sexual assault and rape and also how artistry can be used to vivify that message. I hope that you all truly get a lot out of this episode. This episode made me think and this episode also gave me hope in humanity and our ability to just connect with one another. So without further ado, here is an ode to our guest. She was radiant in all of the treacherous ways. They said, spit and grime left their mouth in the utterance. Still, she kept her stride unwavering. Down and down and down she walked, unaware of crimson shadows, hands that previously claimed blood and skin. She'd reached an end, one with a bend, but she kept on. She readied the roar. Even as it lay latent, it was fury and realization begging to spew fire. Reminiscent of a creature that turned humans to stone and made fiendish men retire. What twisted moments were birthed, stowing away in one of the greatest vessels on earth. She, her, you. But judgment came to dance in question. You see, there are dark things that happen when we're alone, followed by blame and accusation, weapons that cut all the way down to the bone. It's because she kept her stride, fought that ambivalent urge to hide, acting in part as her own guide. Even as beasts sought to deride, she readied the roar She was radiant in all the true ways and kept her stride, even as foul beasts sought to deride. True treachery is actually when light fades to the willfully blind. Today with me, I have Sam Dallet. Sam, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to see where this conversation will take us. Absolutely. And I feel a little honored because you said this is the first podcast that you've ever done. It is. So I'm definitely, you know, unfamiliar waters here, but I'm very excited. Um, And I think it's going to be a great way for some connectivity with uh, things that you and I both have going on um, in Jacksonville. So most definitely. That's one of my favorite things about it, too, like getting to meet cool people and just people very ingrained in the community in one way or another. So you are a model, an artist. You're also the co-creator of Every 68 Seconds Project. So I am going to talk about Every 68 Seconds Project, but I want to talk about you first. I kind of want to go back to basics. So you are a model and an artist, and you just, you bleed this really cool 
dynamic verb in your artwork. So I have to ask you, what was your relationship with art in your youth when you were younger? Um, it has always been a part of me. Um, for as long as I can remember, I there are pictures of me like four and five years old, just like in front of an easel throwing paint around <laughs> and it was always just this way of like me getting lost in something. Mm -hmm. um, there are jokes like I would be so concentrated um, painting that like I'd have my tongue out and I was just like working so hard like as a little kid on this one little painting, you know, and I would just get lost in it. Um, and it was always something that my mom always used to kind of like keep us occupied if mm -hmm. we needed to she, you know she'd always whip out napkins and a pen like go doodle go do something like you know mm -hmm. keep yourself occupied and keep yourself going and like you know don't just sit there and like you know bump on a log kind of thing mm -hmm. and so um using it constantly in my downtime um outside of athletics uh I was constantly involved in sports and stuff so having it as like this not serious thing that I could always go back to mm -hmm. um it was like a little safety net for me. Um, and I remember carrying it all the way into like eighth grade when we started being able to like pick the specific classes that we wanted to like have as electives. And I was like, I've taken all the art stuff, anything <laughs> I can do to create, like I have to use my hands. And luckily the schools that um, I was in, we bounced around a little bit. Um, I got really lucky that each school kind of was still offering stuff like that, where I never had to give it up. There was always art as an outlet. And then into college, um, I had made a drastic change. I was recruited at the Jacksonville University to be on the rowing team for the mm -hmm. crew team. Oh, that's cool. And, um, yeah, and so it was very much so like I was going for athletics, and that was like, you know, the dream. And it didn't work out. I ended up quitting after my first semester, and there was a lot going on in my personal life. And I felt really, really disconnected to just things in my life in general. I was living away from home for the first time. So like, I didn't have that normal, like, okay, just go paint in your room or go sit down and do this. Like, um, it was, you know, sharing space in a dorm room. I'm not living at home anymore. My normal people to talk to aren't there. And I wasn't painting. I wasn't doing anything outside of being on this team. And so when I finally quit that, I picked it up as my major and I just dedicated myself to being an artist. And I was like, I'm gonna go for art and that's what I'm gonna do. And I don't know what the heck I'm going to do with it, but like, we'll figure it out, you know. And the more I found myself neglecting the creative side, um, the more I felt like drawn back to it. Like I could feel it in my hands, like itching to do something. Like you need to pick something up, paint something, draw something. Um, and it's almost crazy to say that because it very much so was like a physical addiction to like, mm -hmm getting lost in a piece and the more I fought that and the more I didn't create the more I like needed it um and so when I finally just fell into it um I was at University of North Florida I transferred a couple times so it was about 2017 through 2019 I had a lot of things going on between moving schools again and you know just constantly keeping up with life and then in 20, I believe it was 2018, um, I was raped and it was, uh, it happened out in the Jacksonville beach bars or after a night at the beach bars while I was attending UNF. And to kind of come, come to terms with that, again, being back in Jacksonville, living on my own again um, and kind of starting new and then having this happen, I found myself in need of like therapeutic release mm -hmm. and not knowing where to find that, not thinking to reach out to people, not really even coming to terms with the fact that like what had happened happened. Mm -hmm. um, I found myself really using conceptual art pieces as a way to just 
let it all out. And luckily I had two or three professors that were very, very encouraging to just saying the ugly truth through beautiful art kind of thing. And mm -hmm. it was my way of, you know, I'm not gonna, I can't, I'm not the artist to paint you a pretty palm tree. <laughs> like, you know, like, um, and to me, like art is hard, art is beautiful, but it's also painful, art is real. Um, and they, the professors I had there at that time really gave me that chance to use my art in that aspect and say the things I couldn't verbalize or like I wasn't comfortable enough yet to voice. I got to paint it and put it on a wall or I got to go into printmaking and put this labor into this method and it was hard work, um, but also it was a hard truth. So it kind of went hand in hand and always having that like safety net to kind of fall back into um, when I you know, was mentally lost or had that haze. Like physically, I knew I could always like come through that side of it. It's interesting that you bring up that you always kind of kept coming back to the art, even when you weren't actively doing it. And it was kind of like this hammering compulsion almost until you started actually doing the art. And then you mentioned that in 2018, you were raped. So I want to ask a little bit, not necessarily about the instance itself, but about what was that process like as you made the decision to really kind of bleed some of the thoughts and emotions that you had into your art? It was like a physical heaviness. I, uh, um, and now that I think about it, because I, I don't, you know, keep it on the front of my brain. Mm -hmm. I don't even know if it was the beginning of 2018 or 2019. Um, mm -hmm. I kind of block out that year. I always have to go back to the actual art pieces that mm -hmm. I had like done and wrote out in that same breath um with how much i try to like you know not think of the details it was something that in that time the details and like the small the small parts of it was like they were the things that we needed to focus on um and if i didn't focus on that and focus on like the legitimate truths and how it all went down and i kind of felt like i needed to dissect step by step what happened and i needed to do it in my art and I had created a uh, printmaking series that had four prints and it was kind of like the stage of like how I broke down like like the night that it happened and my feeling going into it and then it happened and the aftermath and how broken you are after and it was almost like I needed to take it step by step and hold on to those extreme details mm -hmm. and then when I finally put it out there and I finally you know did it um as hard as it was, my whole body was shaking, like vibrating. Like anytime I would talk to somebody about the piece or be like, oh yeah, no, this is the art piece I'm working on. Do you want to see it? Like, I don't really want to show it to you, mm -hmm. but do you want to see it? Uh, and the more that I saw people's reaction to those like, you know, normal realities that ended up being my traumas, it started to change the conversation. With as much pushback and vi victim blaming as like I experienced, there was also those few people um, and environments like uh, the critiques that were held in my art classes with those professors that encouraged taking a stance and making art that was important and not just, you know, another palm tree. Um, like using this to make it, uh, the more that I saw that feedback come into it, the more I realized like as scared as I am, it needs to happen. I didn't have that figure for me, um, which I think is why I continued to struggle. I continued to put myself in subjective situations that allowed manipulation and things to happen to me um, in a variety of different relationships and situations. I was so quick to give up my control and my power in things because I didn't have that figure to say like, 
no, like you're allowed to tell people no. You're allowed to have a voice. You're allowed to have opinions. You don't have to be small. You don't have to do something or not do something, um, you know, at expense of somebody else's feeling. And not hearing that and, and applying it to so many different areas in my life as a young child um, and even in high school and stuff, it was almost like I realized it was my place. As corny as it sounds, like this this was what I was here for. Been traumatizing to me. I had to go through them so that now I can be that voice, hopefully, to somebody else in eighth grade that's hating themselves or somebody else in high school who thinks it's okay that their boyfriend treats them a certain way because they're in a relationship, you know? Um, and if they can take those small words and hold on to it, then it's like they don't have to sit there and suffer for six years until, you know, they have that epiphany. Because <laughs> some people, it takes longer to have that, you know, and if I can change that conversation and do it, it it's not as hard to just get up there and do it then. And it plants a seed just seeing it. My first introduction to you, a, a mutual acquaintance that we have, Celeste Burns shared out, and it was a picture of yourself, and it was sayings written on your body of things that people had said to you surrounding your rape and some of the other aspects that went along with that. And it was a very powerful photo and one of the most powerful photos that I've ever seen in a space like that. So I want to ask you on that note of being able to share your artwork with other people and inspire them by creating a very needed dialogue on those topics Tell me about Every 68 Seconds Project. Why did you decide to start it? I know that you're the co-creator of it. And what is your essential goal for your nonprofit? Um, so Every 68 Seconds Project came into works only a few months ago. It's still a very baby project, uh, but growing uh, eagerly. So that is good. My co-partner is Brian Gray. He is a local photographer. And as a model, um, we had kind of just crossed paths in the beginning of this year as this year happened. And it kind of kicked my butt along the way. Um, it was a work relationship that became a close friendship and the closer we were able to get through working together and just having you know conversations and the work that I was doing um, I have done nude photography and artistic nude uh, photo shoots and so that was the work I was doing with him and with that came a lot of um, conversation beforehand of respect and comfort level and consent and we just really vibed on each other's respect um, and appreciation for space and just having that, um, you know, mutual dialogue across the board. I worked with other photographers that were just as courteous, um, but they didn't go to the extent, you know, that he had uh, gone. And with that came conversation of us having similar experiences. And um, though when we connected uh, on that, we kind of both realized our passion in um, changing the truth and the reality around sexual assault, harassment, and rape. Um, he looked at me one day and he was like, I've always wanted to do this. I think it'll be powerful. I think um, it could work. And he explained the project or like, you know, this idea. And it, I guess it was his first proposal um, of it to me. And my jaw hit the floor, you know, and I was like, 
if there's any project I'm going to be a part of, it is absolutely going to be this. Like, you know, it was like he took the idea from my head and just turned it into words. And it was something that was kind of like this, holy crap, we are very much so on the same wavelength with this. We can really take this somewhere. And when that happened, we kind of just knew that we needed to stay local for the beginning. Um, it's just the two of us right now working on this project. Um, again, it's very much in the beginning stages. But with that being said, our goal is to be able to exhibit 53 portraits. It's called the Every 68 Seconds Project because every 68 seconds somebody is victimized of sexual assault, harassment, or rape in the U.S. So it's crazy because 60 seconds is a minute. So every mm-hmm. so 53 people in one hour um, are falling victim to this and to have conversations where people in, are in such denial that this is a reality. It kind of baffles my mind because... I think people get so caught up in the exaggerated form of what rape or sexual assault is like made out to be Mm -hmm. that if it isn't this horribly vulgar attack, vicious and like physical, like it doesn't count, which is ridiculous. And I think that's why you have so many people that, you know, come out later being like, okay, well, if, if you're calling that sexual assault or harassment or rape, and they are connecting fully to that experience, but n- they never knew it was okay to call it that before. Mm-hmm. Um, because unless it's, oh, I was beaten behind a dumpster, you know, like it doesn't count. So if it's within my marriage, it doesn't count. No, it does. You, and so it's changing that um, idea of what it really is. Um, and it's not a project that's coming out for prosecution. We're not trying to, you know, ring necks over here. Uh, we're really trying to change the conversation about it so that the realities at which it exists can actually come forth. Mm-hmm. And I think that will take a lot of people that have experiences in the moment. You know, they'll be able to come forth in the moment instead of sitting on it for five years, sitting on it for five months, and not even knowing that they can call it what it is. And I think a lot of people coming forth with experiences that aren't so cookie cutter to what society allows to be rape, sexual assault, or harassment, you know, um, the more that these stories are being told and coming forth and testimonies are being shared, other people are reflecting. And unfortunately, it's almost like it happening all over again, but because it's resurfacing, it's almost giving them that strength, you know, like, okay, well, now I've thought about it and I'm not being victimized again. Um, but I'm taking the power back to actually acknowledge what was done to me. The more diversity that we can show within the project, I think the more people we would be able to relate to and connect with, with the realities that it exists in, because it does expand what just, you know, we normally think of being these things. Like, you're not always drunk when it happens. It's not always a stranger when it happens. It's not only women that it happens to. It's not only men that are doing it. Um, and changing this conversation and pushing the realities of truths beyond what we know, um, I think can shine a lot of light and hopefully inspire a lot of strength. It definitely could serve as that beacon because just throughout time, systematically, there's been so much dismissal and just a lack of education that a lot of people have had to unlearn. I remember when I was in school personally, it took me until junior year of high school to even realize that I had been assaulted as a child because, you know, nobody really talked to me about the concept of consent and my body and how my body should be treated. And as somebody who's also worked in a school system, 
Um, I taught like middle school to high school briefly. And during that time, a lot of them don't know that information and having to sit, you know, the principal down and the kids in the playground just to be like, you cannot touch your fellow classmate like that. That's inappropriate. And, you know, having someone tell you, you know, boys will be boys or, you know, that's fine that this is happening or also people not taking it seriously that, you know, women can do it as well. And Mm -hmm. I think all of those are very important concepts and creating that dialogue and just the way the frames are posed, the sayings that are written on each individual's body to me is one of the most important parts of the photograph being kind of confronted with all of those things that are very common rebuttals and just common comments that you hear on the different variations of sexual assault and what that looks like in our society. And that's, uh, that's specifically why we wanted to um, focus on having the writings on the bodies as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if you choose to participate in the project, uh, you, we, you go through a consent form and everything is completely within um, like your comfort level. So if you wish to stay anonymous, you can w- work around you know, shooting you anonymously um, with your face either covered or you know, whatever along those lines. So we make sure that our participants also remain in control and have that power over themselves, their truths, their testimony and their photos Um, but with that being said we also push the importance of kind of exposing that small that small um, you know personal uh, element also all of it is personal but having that one um, you know that one quote that one thing because I think a lot of what is said to us after the fact uh, either changes how we feel observe or respond to what has happened Um, and so the morning after um my uh, rape happened. I drove home and, you know, I showered, brushed my teeth, crawled into bed, took like a power nap, you know, woke up a few hours later and my roommate was awake. I remember going out and we just talked and I was like, yeah, and she, you know, how was it? Blah, blah, blah. Like, um, I willingly drove him home. So she knew where I was, um, you know, and so we were just catching up, like kind of shooting the shit, if you may, um, you know, the night after. And I, I, as I was talking to her, I still felt the uncertainty of like, I don't really know. Like, I don't, that was, it was not, it was nothing. I, I'm so sorry if you can hear my cat yelling. It's okay. I'm surprised you don't hear mine. It's perfectly okay. okay. I should start you to disclaimer them all. Louder. There may be a cat. It's fine. <laughs> it's okay. It's very aggressive. But yeah, I remember sitting there uh, with my roommate and the more that I told her, you know, like, and this happened and, And, you know, I walked her through what I could remember and, like, the confusion of it. And she just looked at me and was like, Sam, that's rape. Like, you were raped. Like, the story you just told me is is being raped. And it was like, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, my body already knew it. My mind had already knew it. But, like, I couldn't sit there and be like, oh, yeah, no, last night was awful. You know, like, I I couldn't bring myself to say that. and she, yeah, and she just looked at me. And so in the photo that you uh, saw, um, I have it posted to my Instagram. That's one of the ones we have on our flyer with the project mm-hmm. um, across my stomach. It says that that's rape, Sam, like you were raped. Um, and then other pieces like that um, in terms of, you know, having having that feedback from the person after 
or even if it isn't okay we're acknowledging it like and it's being like if it's being dismissed like that also will change completely your response to it now i was lucky enough to have friends and a roommate and people in my life um, and the professors at unf as well um that didn't victim shame me that didn't you know point the finger um and they let me speak my truth um and i think that's why it was so successful for me and my art to kind of have that connection with it but with that being said many people aren't so lucky with that many people don't have that feedback or that space where they can just talk about it even if they aren't comfortable saying what it is you know having people not change their mind on it just for the sake of ending the conversation or making somebody uncomfortable and allowing the uncertainty or the truth that you don't want to admit is truth yet you know it's just letting it settle mm -hmm. um, many people don't have even that um and they they do get the victim blaming and the pointing of the fingers and the, well, what were you wearing? Did you drink too much? Um, well, you're in a relationship with him. Well, you know, you, you've had sex with him before. Um, you know, well, your skirt was so short. Like, whatever it is, you hear it all the time. That changes your um, identity to the situation afterwards. Um, in, in addition to losing yourself along the way and trying to refine yourself. I struggled a lot with different people, you know, not always giving me the space that others in my life had given me about it um, and also not telling a lot of specific people in my life like I was fine with telling a stranger about it but I wasn't fine telling certain people because I almost knew their reaction you know having those personal elements I think it ties in that extra element of we all go through such a different reality um, where even if things are similar and like you know coexist between experiences um there's always that one thing that will stick with you that can either you know change or sway you in one direction or the next they sit heavy on you um even if they're good or bad you know that's something that is in that healing process and it can either make it harder or better um and having that also be a reality that we talk about within the project because even if you can get past you know the trauma of the assault sometimes coming out the other end of it is even harder you know so people look at you differently you know now you're the girl that talks about it now you're the one that you know everyone thinks that you're you, whatever it is there's so many different like sub areas that come out of it of judgment or mistold truths from other people that don't really know what happened and having that shown also in the reality of you know it's not just oh the attack happened and then you wake up the next day and you carry on with your life it's always something that is in conversation that is always affecting you that people will have different reactions to so that will constantly be changing um and those also hold just as important to the things said to you after as it did you know what was said to you during so we encourage having that specific element in the project instead of just photographing the survivors um, having the element of like that transition either before during or after that transition is so integral too because i feel like that's the piece that a lot of people don't talk about and you know as somebody who we both are located in north florida in the jacksonville area and resources in certain areas can be very limited there are resources you know if you want to talk about the trauma if you want to kind of talk about different aspects of it there are other orgs out there and some you know national orgs that you can go to but as far as having a safe space to know how to deal with judgment how to even connect with people who might know your abuser even if they're not directly hanging out with them how to 
connect with other people afterwards and be able to navigate just general day-to-day things. I feel like those are the pieces that sometimes people miss um, and they focus on the trauma element of it. So just thank you for creating a space where you are able to provide that anchor to people who might need it or seek it out or maybe not even know that they needed it, just plants that initial seed. I want to go back to something that you said. So you mentioned that even during your time of, you know, putting your art out there and even, you know, navigating, starting the Oregon, talking about it and being an advocate, how have you navigated the personal opposition that you've gotten, some of the pushback and maybe even some of the rebuttals that you've gotten during this process? Um, when I first started, uh, when I was still at UNF, I was, I was just making the art pieces, you know, it was kind of, everything was new to me. I was still in the healing process. I was still um, kind of coming to terms with everything. And the more I talked about it and heard more people talk about it and learned more about it, the more I related other past relationships and other situations. And unfortunately, I have few other um, incidences outside of just my one rape. I talk about the one specifically because that was like my aha moment mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, where it was like very obviously what happened but the more that I talked about it and you know that conversation and for me changed um, the more I was able to look past and kind of come to terms with a lot of other things that now it's kind of like I have to heal again from it because I've recognized um, what had been happening um, to me in prior relationships where at the time I was just kind of like naive to it um, and I was okay with putting myself repeatedly in that situation, you know, and so you have that, okay, well, in retrospect, like now thinking back on it, I don't know if it's something like those things are things that I want to go do stuff about, like, like I said, like, me specifically, and like my goal with the project, we're not looking for prosecution, Mm -hmm. um, you know, but it's, it's, I'm still coming to terms with a lot of things that have happened to me in relationships back in high school, back in college, um, recently. And these are things that I couldn't acknowledge at the time because I love the person or that's just what it was. Or so even I'm still like kind of coming to terms with a lot of things. And then more that, that conversation for me changed, the more I was able to handle, um, like snarky remarks or things that like people had to say back to me or, when I post on Instagram and you have people in the comments saying, well, why didn't you just report it? You know, like, why didn't you do something about it? Um, I, I don't feel as quick to act out of anger uh, anymore because as much as they might be aiding to the uh, rape culture that still exists today, they were not my rapist. Um, and as much as they might want to shut down the conversation because it is too big of a reality for them to want to comprehend. Um, they are also not my rapists, you know? So it's, um, it's coming to terms with the fact that people are still going to not want to understand. People are still going to not be able to understand, even if they want to. And people are going to have this difficulty coming to terms with the ugly truths that unfortunately their pushback will allow to continue to happen so the more you fight this conversation today the more in five years your daughters and sisters and teammates and cousins and everyone else are still going to be dealing with this and you're just too scared to allow the conversation to happen because it makes you uncomfortable or because you doesn't you don't view it that way or because of whatever your reasoning is the more that that pushback is 
coming at me, like the more I feel like I don't get mad at that individual person anymore. I think I get mad still at the situation. Like we're still doing this. (laughs) It can be frustrating. Um, Very, very frustrating. Yeah. But I know that if I don't endure this pushback now, people are still going to be in dire need of a conversation change in five years Mm -hmm. when I've been sitting here now for the last seven years dealing with all of my experiences and dealing with it without having somebody willing to have a conversation about it and being so scared to be like, hey, can I talk to you about this? Like, hey, I don't know if my roommate's going to respond well to this, but like, let's give it a try. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I don't want people to be so scared that they can't talk about it. You know, Um, even if you do wish to talk about it anonymously, like just to talk about it like that, it shouldn't be so traumatizing. Like the event itself is traumatizing. You should be able to hold conversations um, like this. And so the pushback that I receive now, it's I almost take it with a smile on my face because I have to. And if we don't and, if you know, people like us don't hold these conversations, we're going to be continuing to live in like an ignorance of silence. So I find and I've had this conversation with other people, specifically people in the community sphere where they're doing something for the advocacy of someone else or themselves or what have you. And it's, there's a power in being responsive versus reactive and Mm -hmm. learning. I mean, obviously there are some conversations that people just make it impossible to have, but that is the minority and not the majority when you kind of look beyond that opposition coming at you. And I would definitely say that it is an amazing superpower of yours that you have where you are able to navigate those conversations it is something that like you have to constantly work on it's hard to like to oh, operate people are lucky i don't respond right <laughs> away sometimes. i'm like you did not catch me on a good day to make that comment sir like, <laughs> and i do it takes a lot of self-reflection and self-control to take that step back and be like they aren't the person you're directly mad at mm-hmm. they might be speaking like an idiot or like not being accepting but like that's that's something separate than what like you know my drive is so Mm -hmm. like I can't I can't want to rip their heads off simply for not having that comprehension level on like the topic yet and I like I can't blame them now I can advise them I can tell I can you know encourage them to go to my um, website I can encourage them to go and read a couple testimonies I can encourage them to go talk to their moms their granddaughters their grandmothers their cousins their wives their sisters their husbands you know their brothers like go and talk to people bring it up if you're so set on this not being a reality, prove it to me. You know, prove to me that people aren't falling victim to this nonstop and I'll stop talking about it, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's like, I, you can you can disagree with me, but you're not going to change my mind. And I kind of just wash my hands of it at that point. Uh, if I'm hitting a brick wall with somebody, that's fine. I don't love you any less. I'll just love you from farther away. I'm going to take myself over here and I'm going to continue having the conversation. You don't need to be a part of it right this second, but eventually you will be. And I just have that hope that eventually people will come on board and there, there will be this accepting, you know, kind of atmosphere around something that has such a negative and small stigma about it when it is something that is very, very impactful. And Sam, I'm just so glad you exist. <laughs> that's No, I, I really am. I think that's that's awesome. And it's really cool that you and your co-creator, Brian, have created that space and just furthered that discussion. And I'm excited to see where it'll go. So just going back a little bit, we know that you've created this nonprofit. 
and we know a lot about it now. And you're also an artist and a model. What are your future plans for you? Like, not just as a whole, like when you're bridging the gap between a co-creator of a nonprofit and an artist, what is it that you kind of want to do with yourself going forward? Oh boy, is that a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> I have always had dreams and aspirations of having, um, specifically talking for my art, um, having a gallery or a gallery-like setting um, or a space that could be a gallery, you know, um, mm -hmm. and having it um, maybe in Jacksonville, maybe somewhere else, I don't really know where I'll end up, you know, but having this space where I would have a space in the back to work and create and it almost being like this, um, this welcoming environment, like I feel like there's this massive disconnect between an artist's life and their studio and their process and their blood, sweat and tears that go into the pieces being made mm -hmm. and the actual pieces that are like viewed, you know? Um, so kind of having a gallery attached to a studio where I'm either working in it or I'm featuring a local artist and they have that space for a few months, you know, having something like that where it's again, giving back to the community, it's connecting art to the community. It's proving that ugly art is important art and, that people are making art to say something. Um, and so having that space physically um, for my art where, you know, I want you to come in. I want you to ask me about my process. I want you to ask me about what's driving me to choose, you know, making this in a really hard technique instead of just painting it or instead of just drawing it, which for some artists might be an easier technique, you know, like mm -hmm. I want you to see the, you know, everything we put into it and also talk about the concept behind the art. So. Um, that would definitely be uh, a goal of mine eventually is to have that space where it functions functions as a workable studio space, a space where you can come and view the art and the artists and again, hold conversations that aren't typically held because people are so scared to ask questions, you know, it's like, God forbid you touch the art piece. It's like, you can get up there, you can look at it a little bit, mm -hmm. like you can... <laughs> I want you to be like having thoughts. I want this to make you react. I want you to feel something when you walk away from this or walk out of this building. So again, holding that space within a community where I can have an impact like that as an artist is definitely something that I've always wanted to work towards. Now being a model and in that term um, of holding uh, space more in like the modeling and photography world mm -hmm. uh, and working specifically with the nonprofit every 68 seconds project. Um, I would love to continue doing that. I know that uh, Brian and I have big goals for it in terms of eventually working outside of just Jacksonville or, you know, uh, North Florida. Mm -hmm. um, it is, you know, primarily just the two of us right now. So we're starting small, but we do have big uh, goals to focus it not so specifically on the epidemic that we're facing in uh, Northeast Florida, which is massive within itself. Um, mm -hmm. Specifically, if you dive deep into specific areas in Jacksonville, um, I won't go too much into that, but that's um, very true. We need to change um, within areas in Jacksonville. So we're starting there, but we want to be able to take it um, across the U.S., you know, into bigger uh, areas and bigger cities and connect our community to others in terms of sharing truths outside of just what we know in, um, you know, Jacksonville, Florida. So that is, again, um, something that we hope to see in the next few years come out of that. And as our team grows with the nonprofit, have means to go and do that. Um, and then for me and my modeling, um, I am also very excited to be doing um, extra work. Um, I have a few projects under my belt that I 
am waiting to say too much about. <laughs> That's exciting. Um, but, <laughs> but very, very big, um, big plans in um, utilizing my skill and my eye for a nice composition in terms of um, my painting and my modeling and putting that on the opposite side of photographing and capturing mm -hmm. moments um, and working with individuals where I can help bring their vision to life as well. So it's not just, you know, me using myself as a model, but being able to work hands on with other models, styling them and working with them specifically to bring their, you know, vision to life to help their business come to life um, and give them that option to speak their truth and, you know, shine that a uh, little bit of light on something that I can, you know, give back to them. Uh, so it's tiny projects, well, big projects, <laughs> big projects, but uh, tiny little nuggets of uh, information on those that I can give out right now. So definitely have a lot of things uh, coexisting and bridging um, those three outlets of mine together. And I'm excited to see where it's all going to take me and uh, the communities and people that I'll be able to um, reach because of it. Um, I know that I find myself struggling and feeling like I'm almost stuck in Jacksonville sometimes. Mm -hmm. But um, the one thing I do hold true is everything happens for a reason. And if I am not leaving Jacksonville for a reason, it's because I'm doing something important here and I need to stay true to that. And um, the connectivity that I need to take me also elsewhere, um, that will come in its time. So I'm excited to see the growth as it kind of continues, but we're in the beginning stages of a lot right now. I'm excited for it to take off. I'm excited for you, too, and that's a good way to look at it. I feel like almost every person that I've spoken to in Jacksonville says that at one point in time, they feel kind of tethered to the city, whether they want to be or not. And I feel like with everything that you're doing, like you said, that will come. Sam, if you if people want to learn more about Every 68 Seconds Project or like follow your art and just kind of keep up with you, where can they go to do that? Um, so I have... Um a couple different Instagrams. They're all kind of tagged together. So if you find one, you'll find the rest. Um, my personal account, which is primarily correlated with the Every 68 Seconds Project is just Sam underscore Dalit. Um, it's D-A-L-L-E-T-T, -T, spelled just like ballet with a D. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so you can find my personal page. You are more than welcome to direct message me or reach out to me on that. Um, now, if you wanted to check out my art, that's Samantha Christine Art all one word uh christine is with a k um so you can find that on instagram as well and you can see all the stuff i've been doing with my art over the last few years um i have a lot of other fun things going on with that i've painted a few murals up at That's Yuli. Cool. i painted the one mural in Yuli. Mm -hmm. um and then i've done a few like elementary art courses i do virtual lessons so I have a lot going on over there as well. You can reach out to me in terms of any of that information. And then again, you can always just go into the Every 68 Seconds Project, which is the handle on Instagram for that as well, all one word. Um, so you can direct message us there. Um, you can also be able to find some of our links across our profiles and they're all coexisting. So if you find one, you'll find the rest. Honestly, are so appreciative of any connection and conversation that we can have. So even if you aren't at a space where you feel, um, you know, driven to give a testimony or anything like that, maybe you just know somebody that um, could possibly want information on it, you are more than welcome to feel free, you know, repost or reshare any of our stuff. 
share the uh, project uh, site or Instagram to anybody. Um, the more exposure we have, the better. And we can't do it without anybody like you guys or without you guys. So um, we definitely rely on the conversation that exists around our projects, you know, to get us going a little bit more. Most definitely. And I will include all of those in the description so that everybody can keep up with those. And Sam, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was awesome talking with you. And you're just a fantastic person. I'm excited for all of the things that you're going to end up doing. Thank you so much. Honestly, it was an honor being on this show. Like I said, it's my very first one. So um, I was a little nervous going into it, but you held such a great space for me. So I appreciate you and your conversation so much. Absolutely. That's what we strive for. And you're always welcome back and everybody else until next time. Thank you to all of our listeners out there. As always, you are the most beloved and make all of this magic possible. This episode hit me in a way that I've never been hit before while interviewing a guest. And I think it's because it hit very close to home. This isn't the first time that I've talked about sexual assault or rape on this channel, but it was the way in which we talked about it, the way that we dove into the shame and the stigmas and some of the rebuttals and just opposition that you get being um, someone who has gone through sexual assault. Normally I interview the guests and I ask questions and kind of let the guest drive the majority of the interview. I'm gonna be personal, personal <laughs> with all of you for a moment. I have been sexually assaulted multiple times. The first two times it happened, it actually was from members of my family as a child, they did this to me. And then as I grew up, it was something that I experienced several more times. So it is something that I'm very familiar with. And a lot of the things we talked about just made me think about my experience over the years and just how people have responded to me or responded to people that I personally know. I definitely would encourage anybody who thinks that they can benefit from every 68 seconds or anybody who knows someone who has gone through this to definitely consider um, utilizing every 68 seconds as a resource. What they're doing is wildly important and it focuses on a different aspect of sexual assault that doesn't often get talked about. I hope that you all have enjoyed this episode. The Raindrop Corner podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and all standard podcast streaming platforms. I love all of you so much and until next time.